The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are in the, uh, the final week of a series that we've been doing on hospitality uh, called Making Room. Uh, and if you've been with us, we've kind of worked through this progression where uh, the first week we talked about how God makes room uh, for us. That when we were far off, God sought us in Jesus and said, hey, you're invited in. And then last week we said, hey, in light of that reality, in light of God's hospitality, uh, we make room as the church. That when we see new people, when new people encounter us as the people of God, we we recognize in them uh, the imago Dei, the image of God, that they have value and worth inherently because God's created them. And so we welcome them into our circle as the church. Today we're going to look at hospitality uh, as it relates to us as individuals. What does it mean for you to be hospitable in your daily life? How does that work? And so real quick, we've defined hospitality uh, not so much as, as, as hosting meals and, and having nice dinner parties, but hospitality as this, benevolence and good done to those outside your circle of friends. Okay, the, the biblical definition of hospitality is benevolence or good done to those outside your circle of friends. And, and here's why we've like, done this whole series, and here's why today is so important. A hundred years before Jesus, uh, there was a Roman philosopher named Lucretius. And Lucretius wrote this really epic poem. And by poem, I mean it's like a book that's in poetic form. Uh, And it was called On the Nature of Things. And the, the whole point of this poem was to point out that the entire purpose of life, that the ultimate purpose in life is to pursue pleasure. That ultimately, we're all here simply to find enjoyment. That we exist simply to enjoy life. Now, I don't know how many of you would agree with that statement, uh, but statistically speaking, most Americans would. I was just reading about this in a 2015 study. Uh, You can show the the slide there, Katie. Uh, 84%, or I'm sorry, 88% of U.S. adults stated that the highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. 66% of practicing Christians said that the highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. Now, what's interesting about this, this which is essentially a belief in hedonism, the, the pursuit of pleasure, uh, what's interesting about uh, this pursuit of pleasure, it's actually led us to a hyper-individualism in our culture. Just a hyper-focus on me. Uh, and so, for example, I read some more numbers uh, in which 91% of adults, 76% of practicing Christians in the U.S., believe that the best way to find yourself is to look inside yourself. And then 97% of U.S. adults, 91% of practicing Christians said, you have to be true to yourself. So, this is a 2015 study. So, so the air we breathe, the, the world we live in, everything around us says, you focus on you. You do your thing, you do what makes you happy at whatever cost, however you define that happiness, whatever it is you want to pursue, you do whatever that is at all costs. You find your meaning, your pleasure, your identity within yourself. Now, of course, we should be self-reflective. We should be self-aware. Nothing wrong with that. But there's two problems with this line of thinking. There's two problems with this hedonism and hyper-individualism. And the first one's practical. first one's practical. So uh, one of the most influential living philosophers right now, he just released a new book called The Secular Ages, a man named Charles Taylor. Uh, He's a Canadian philosopher and... and, um, in, in his book uh, on ethics, uh, he, he said this about our age. 
The rise of individualism has wrenched us loose from all the settings that gave meaning to the lives of our forebears. We've been thrown back on our inner resources. But when we look inside ourselves, we find emptiness because we have been cut adrift from everything that once supplied the resources we are seeking. And so Taylor says, hey, we turn inward to find pleasure, to find meaning, to find identity. He says, but we're so cut off from the things that would actually give us that. We're so detached from that that when we look inward, we come up empty. In other words, simply put, he says, navel gazing doesn't work. It's not a practical way to live life. That's problem one. Problem two, uh, with a hedonistic, me-focused way of life, is that for those of us who call ourselves Christians, uh, we claim to, to follow a guy named Jesus, and he said otherwise. He said otherwise. He said to us, he said, take up your cross, an instrument of suffering, and follow me. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, not your own enjoyment. He said, whoever seeks to save his life, whoever seeks to gain his life, is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, they'll find it. Now, I say all this to point this out. This is why hospitality is so important. This is why we've been doing this. This is why we're doing this today. Because hospitality gives us the opportunity not to focus on ourselves, but to practice benevolence and good to those outside our circle of friends. To those we gain nothing by being gracious to. And so someone says, all right, well, that's all well and good, Pastor. Very good. Glad to hear that. But, but how do we do that in our daily lives? Like, what's that look like? How do I do that? Uh, well, let me just give you a simple way of doing that, all right? As Christians, we live with a firm center and soft edges, okay? As Christians, we live with soft edges and a firm center. Soft edges and a firm center. Here's what that means. Uh, if, if hospitality, if we, as we've defined it, is good done uh, to those outside your circle of friends, uh, that's going to mean it's good done to people who are probably not like you, right? Most of the time, we're friends with people that are like us. And so this is good done to those that are not like you. So these are people that are coming from maybe a different cultural background, that maybe look differently than you, they may have a different socioeconomic standing than you, uh, they may have different beliefs than you, they may have a different sexuality than you, whatever it is. But as Christians who are practicing hospitality, we have soft edges towards the other. That we're incredibly gracious to the other, to those outside our circle of friends. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we compromise who we are and what we believe. And that's the firm center. That we're confident in what Jesus has done for us. We're confident in what it looks like to follow him and what that means for our lives. And so that doesn't bend. But we live with soft edges towards those outside our circle of friends. And so we practice hospitality as we live with soft edges and a firm center. Now, what does that look like day in and day out? And that's where our text is really helpful this morning. Our text shows us how to live with soft edges and a firm center as we do three things. As we live open to all, as we practice integrity, and as we remain confident in the constants. Okay? We live open to all, we practice integrity, we remain confident in the constants. Um, and so let's go. Uh, remain open to all, live open to all. Look with me at verses 1 to 2 in our text. It says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 
All right, so, so the author of Hebrews, uh, we don't actually know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, so tomorrow's Labor Day, you got the day off. If you're real bored tomorrow, you can just Google that. All sorts of crazy theories out there. It'll blow your mind. Um, but we don't know who wrote it. It's not a big deal. Uh, but regardless, the, the author of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. And so he says to the church, hey, you love one another. That's great. Keep doing that. Keep that up. And do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So he says, hey, love one another and show love to those outside your circle of friends. Show love to those outside the church. And then he reminds them of the story of Abraham. That's actually the, the second half of verse 2 here where it says, thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, it's a reference to the story of Abraham in Genesis 18. Uh, if, if you grew up in church, you may know the story where, where three visitors come to Abraham. He doesn't know who they are, and he's like, all right, I'm going to host y'all. And he washes their feet, and he welcomes them into his tent, and he gives them some food. And it turns out that these three strangers were God and, and two angels. And it's this kind of incredible story. And, and as the author of Hebrews reminds the people he's writing to of that, he's also reminding us of something that Jesus taught us. That in Matthew 25, 35, Jesus said essentially the same thing here. Matthew 25, 35, Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And what I love about Jesus' words here when he says this is he doesn't say, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me into your house. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me into your church. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me into your shelter. No. He says, you welcomed me. In other words, welcoming the stranger is less about location and more about relationship. That for Jesus, welcoming the stranger is less about location and more about relationship. That wherever we are, our posture towards the stranger, towards the other, is one of welcome into our family, into our circle of friends, into our group, into our tribe. That that's our posture. And in order to have that sort of posture to the other, we have to have deep humility. We have to have deep humility. Uh, so St. Benedict was a, a 5th century monk, uh, and, and he's kind of responsible for, for really monasticism throughout the, the Middle Ages. And, and he, he basically outlined the rules for the monastic life in, in his kind of timeless work, uh, The Rule of St. Benedict. And at one point in, in his book, he describes how hospitality should be practiced uh, to strangers that, that the monks uh, meet. And this is what he says. In the salutation of all guests, whether arriving or departing, let all humility be shown. Let the head be bowed or the whole body prostrated on the ground in adoration of Christ, who indeed is received in their persons. So he says, hey, whenever you encounter someone new, whenever a guest enters into this place, whenever you meet a stranger, you should bow your head, he says, or you should lay prostrate on the ground before them. Now, I'm not suggesting you lay prostrate before every stranger you meet, okay? You're like, not going to get a lot done that way. It's just very long days, okay? Exhausting. Uh, burpees all day, okay? But, um, but what this shows us is, is that to have a posture of hospitality requires deep humility. It requires deep humility. Uh, for example, I, I grew up in a parsonage. Do you all know what a parsonage is? 
Okay. Okay. No. 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 We don't. All right. So parsonage is is uh, it's kind of old school. Uh, it's a house for a pastor and his family uh, that's located kind of right next to the church. And so so I grew up in a parsonage, this house right next to a church. And uh, and growing up right there, uh, my folks, man, we hosted people all the time. All the time. Like whenever someone in need stopped by the church, more often than not, they ended up inside my family's house. Or when there were, there were kids uh, that were in difficult family situations, they'd usually spend a couple hours uh, hanging out with me while my dad counseled the parents. Or uh, whenever uh, people on holidays didn't have a place to go, didn't have fr- family or friends in town, they usually found a seat around our dining room table. And so that was just kind of how my, my parents lived. Uh, but because of that, because we had folks over so much, I did not grow up in a very tidy house. It was not clean. Like when you're constantly cycling people out, you just can't hold it together, right? And, uh, and, and so much so, it was funny, I was thinking about this as I was writing the sermon. Uh, in like fifth grade, I, I brought one of my friends over and we like walked in the house. My mom yelled down the stairs. She's like, hey, sorry the house is such a mess. And my buddy yelled back, it's okay, Mrs. Casper, I'm used to it, which I'm sure my mom loved. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh but I love that about my parents, right? Because that's, that's the price of hospitality, that, that to welcome the stranger in your life means that things aren't going to be perfect. To do benevolence and good to those outside your circle of friends is inherently inconvenient. It's inherently going to interrupt your plans and the way you want to do things. And so we got to be humble because this is what it means to live open to all. Uh, so I was talking with our, our worship leader, Tanner, uh, this week about a book he's been reading called Slow Church, the book he's reading called Slow Church, and uh, he was telling me about it, and I just started griping to him about it, because uh, if you've been here for very long, you know that we like fast church, okay? Like, like our name is Axe, for goodness sake, right? Like, like, I like to hustle, I like to do stuff, I like to start new things, and, and from an organizational standpoint, that's, that's not going to change, all right? So just hop on board. Let's ride, okay? But, but Tanner pointed out something to me as we're talking. He said, Gabe, I, I get what you're saying, but he said, isn't this an opportunity for the people of God, the church, we as individuals, to be countercultural? So isn't this an opportunity for us to live lives a little bit slower so that we can actually see people, so that we can actually be intentional about our relationships, so that we can actually engage people on a deeper level? invest in others. And literally, as he's telling me this, uh, I saw on his phone a reminder popped up that said, add value to people today. Uh, that, that's just kind of part of his daily rhythm. And so I was like, feeling kind of convicted. So I was like, you know what, buddy? Why don't you just go back and play your guitar and leave the preaching to me, all right? Uh, no, I didn't say that. Because uh, he's right. He's right. That, that in order to live hospitable lives, we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to see people to live open to all. But not only that, as we seek to live hospitable lives, the, the author of Hebrews calls us to live open to all, but to also practice integrity. Look with me at verses 3 to 4 in our text. It says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
All right, so these two verses say two things. It's pretty simple, right? Verse 3, it says, Remember your brothers and sisters that are in prison for the faith. And why should we do that? Because author of Hebrews says, because you're in the body. You're, you're one flesh with them. You're connected to them. So remember those who are suffering for the faith because you're connected to them. And then it says, practice fidelity in marriage. Honor marriage. Make it a big deal. Prioritize it in your life. And so what this text is driving at is simply this. Practice integrity with those you're in covenant with. Practice integrity with those you're in covenant with. And so think about it like this. If you're a Christian, you may not realize this. Uh, if you're a Christian, we call yourself a Christian. That, that means you're in covenant with other Christians. That, that when you put your trust in Jesus, you're, when you're baptized, you're brought into the family of God, into the covenant community of God. That we're actually bound together as a people. We're not just a bunch of sporadic individuals, but God's brought us together as a people. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, practice integrity in that covenant. Live as if that actually means something. And then he says, if you're married, that means you're in covenant with your spouse. That you stood before God and everyone else and said, I'm with this person and no one else till one of us dies. And so our text is saying this, hey, have soft edges, live open to all, practice hospitality to those outside your circle, and have a firm center. Have integrity towards those you're in covenant with. Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and your spouse. Now someone says, all right, but I thought this sermon was about hospitality. What does this integrity talk have to do with hospitality? Well, it's a matter of consistency. It's a matter of consistency. See, if we live open to all, if we say, hey, I'm going to be a hospitable person, I'm going to welcome the stranger in my midst, I'm going to live open to all, but your most intimate relationships are a mess, that's weird, right? Like, that's super inconsistent. Like, hey, I'm going to really care for the stranger I miss. I'm really care for those people out there, but not so much for my spouse. That sounds like a lot of work. I don't think I want to do that. Not so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ. They're weird, okay? That doesn't make sense. It's weird. If you're not doing good at the relationships you have, you probably shouldn't make more, right? It's not a good move. I mean, I think about it like this. Like, let's say you practice hospitality. You invite the stranger into your life, right? So we live in the fastest growing city in the country, and so you've got new neighbors. And so you invite your new neighbor into your house, and, and they come eat dinner with y'all, and they see you treat your spouse poorly. Maybe you don't speak well of them. Maybe you run down what they did, whatever it is. And maybe they hear you uh, run your brothers and, sisters Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ down. What good did your hospitality do then? It didn't do any good. Because instead of bringing them into a place of, of wholeness and healing and a safe space, they just saw brokenness and disarray. And so hospitality is useless without integrity towards those we're in covenant with. And so we practice integrity towards those we're in covenant with. All right. If you've been tracking with me this morning, I know we've been going kind of rapid fire, uh, you may be a little overwhelmed. Be like, whoa, Pastor Gabe, there's a lot of stuff. Okay, so you're telling me i got to live open to the stranger, i got to love those outside my circle of friends, uh, do benevolence and good to them, live with these soft edges, and then at the same time i really got to invest and pour in the people that I'm in a covenant relationship with, with my brothers and sisters in Christ and, and with my spouse like, and my family. Like, this is too much, Pastor. can't do all that. You can't. And that's why we've got to remain confident in the constants. 
got to remain confident in the constants. Look with me at verses 5 to 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love this. So our text says, hey, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now see, this text is about money, but it's not really about money. Essentially, what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Your money, your time, your relationships, your health, your abilities, any of this stuff in your life is going to ebb and flow. It's going to come and go. It's just not going to be constant. It just isn't. And so don't place your confidence in that. Don't place all your hope in that stuff. Hold that stuff loosely because it's going to come and go. Instead, he says, place your confidence in the only thing that is constant in this world. Place your confidence in the only thing that will never disappoint. And that's that your Heavenly Father will never leave you or forsake you. At the one constant in this world, that no matter what happens in your life, your Heavenly Father promises to always be with you. No matter what. Because I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so you can be confident that His presence is constant. And someone says, all right, that's all well and good, Pastor, but how do I know that? How would I know that to be true? Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, you can be confident that God the Father is with you always because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That the same Jesus who said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, speaks those same words over you today. And that the same Jesus who said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you, go now and sin no more, speaks those same words of grace to you today. And that the same Jesus who said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, is with you today. And see, we know that Jesus keeps his word. Because when Jesus walked the earth, he said, hey, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to go for your sins, and I'm going to go for the sins of the whole world. And he did that. And Jesus also promised, he said, hey, and after I die, I'm going to rise three days later. I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to offer you new life. And Jesus did that. He kept his word. And that same Jesus said, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to make all things new. And he will. And he will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so we can be confident in that. You can be confident in that. In his constant love, his constant grace, his constant presence. And see, from that place of confidence, when that centers into your being, we can then live with firm centers and soft edges. Firm centers and soft edges and practice hospitality in our personal lives. And so as we close up, let me just say this. We kind of think about hospitality. For some of you, this idea of practicing hospitality in your daily life 
uh, may mean just opening your eyes to what God's already doing through you. It may be just recognizing what God's doing and, and being intentional about it. So for some of you, you maybe have, there's, there's uh, fellow coworkers, fellow employees that, that come in, and you're bringing them into the group. You're welcoming them onto the team. Or maybe you have new students if you're in school right now, and you're bringing them into your circle of friends, making them feel welcome. Or, or maybe as you have new neighbors, you're bringing them treats. You're doing that sort of thing. Or I'd imagine for many of you that have kids, uh, you more often than not have a few extra kids around your dinner table. You probably don't know that well, right? But they got brought in because they're friends with your kids. Man, those are opportunities for you to see. Is, this is my opportunity to love the stranger. This is my opportunity to love the other. And to be intentional about hospitality in the, that, the midst of that. Uh, that idea of, of kids gathered around the dinner table as an opportunity to practice hospitality. Um, someone doing that actually made all the difference for me uh, in my life. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I was in a, in a punk band uh, throughout high school and college. Uh, which is a really typical uh, path for a pastor. Come on, 9.30. All right. Um, and, uh, and so as I headed into my senior year of high school, like, that was my plan. Like, I was like, Gabe, rock star. That's what we're going for. And, and so I, I lived in Detroit, grew up in Detroit, and so I was going to stay there. Uh, we're starting to do well in the local scene. I'm like, this is what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm going to do. No, there would have been nothing wrong with that. That was my plan. There would have been nothing wrong with that. But God had other plans. Got at other plans, and it came in the form of hospitality. That one of my friends, uh, his family, they lived about a mile away from me, and his family always told me, they said, hey, you're always welcome at our house whenever you want. You just come on over. So I'm like, all right, and they had an awesome basement. And so a basement is a, a thing underneath a house that, okay. Um, so so I would, uh, I'd ride my bike over there, and I'd spend many a day just sitting in their basement eating taquitos and bagel bites and playing Halo, and, and, and it was awesome. And then uh, the, the, the mother in the family, Mrs. Johnson was her name, was also a math teacher at my high school, and I'm terrible at math, and so she would sit down and she would tutor me. Like, oftentimes I wouldn't have a choice. She would just be like, all right, Gabe, we're working on math today. I was like, I just came over for the bagel bites. So... So we'd do that, and, and she would she'd offer that help to me um, just because she cared. And, uh, and they'd always invite me around their table. And, and, and no matter what, like, they didn't treat me as like some weird kid with a mohawk and girls' jeans, though I had both of those things, all right? They didn't treat me that way. Yeah, so they didn't have skinny jeans for guys then, so we had to adjust. Uh, anyways, so uh, long story short, long story short, getting all the important details, uh, long story short, uh, one day I walked into Mrs. Johnson's classroom, and um, I had to talk to her about something. And, and I went in, and she just said, hey, Gabe, uh, listen, God's put it on my heart recently to pray for you. And she said, I know you don't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. She said, but God's put it on my heart to pray for you to become a pastor. Um, and, and I don't know what that looks like or whatever, but she said, Gabe, would you just pray about that for me? Would you just pray about that for the next couple months and just see if anything happens that way? Uh, and because of her hospitality, because of her soft edges towards me, I decided to take her up on her offer. And I prayed about it for three months, and 13 years later, here we are. Now, I tell you that story not to say that the end goal of hospitality is, is to, uh, you know, recruit more vocational church workers, but I tell you that story to point out that the power in doing good to those outside your circle of friends is palpable. It's palpable. 
That simply extending hospitality to someone can be life-changing. And, and you have the opportunity to do that. You do. Every day. That you, you have the God of the universe. You have your Heavenly Father who is always with you. You have a Jesus whose grace always rests on you. And you have a Holy Spirit whose power is always at work inside of you. And those things are constant. And so may they give you the confidence to live hospitable lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your constant presence, that you've promised never to leave us or forsake us, that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what we're going through, whatever variables there are, that you are always with us. God, I pray we draw confidence from that. And that we draw confidence from the grace of our Savior Jesus that his love never leaves us. And from that place of confidence, Lord, may we extend hospitality to others. May we find those who, who aren't like us. May we be with those who, who maybe aren't part of our circle of friends yet. And may we welcome them in. May we extend your grace to a world that needs it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.